privilege. It can have a negative connotation, like the unfair advantage you get from being born, say, white or rich or male. Some folks gotta check their privilege. Though seen through a different lens, privilege is also power that you can use, if you so choose, to say right past wrongs. Dr. Mary Trump uses her privilege, though she doesn't make too much of it. If you're somebody who's in a position of privilege and power simply by virtue of, you know, historical accident and egregious crimes and missteps, (laughs) you have a responsibility. She is niece of the Donald. She obliterated the myth that her uncle was a self-made billionaire. She exposed why loser entered his lexicon and ours. Today on Art of Power. Dr. Mary Trump, like you've never heard her before, talking about using her Trump privilege her white privilege, to shed light on one of the shadiest families in America. And to do it, she's got to get over a huge hump. She's got to convince herself that she matters. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Just give me two seconds. I have a a parrot. Come here, baby. Who sometimes wreaks havoc. Do you want to talk into the microphone? No, don't bite it. This is Mary Trump, doctor of psychology, best-selling author, and owner of an African gray parrot named Sebastian. In order to understand Mary Trump's transition from uber-private citizen to whistleblower, you need to know a little bit about where she came from. You're a young woman. You grew up in Queens, like me. We're both from Queens. Hi, Queens. (laughs) The best borough of the borough. Oh, my God. Seriously, not even a competition. Nope. And you're a Trump. Does being a Trump mean something to you? Not really. You know, I knew, of course, that my grandfather was a quite wealthy person and a known person because he owned so much stuff, you know, in in, uh, Brooklyn and Queens. Mm -hmm. So uh, there was this sense that... My family was different from the families of my friends, simply in terms of prominence. But then there was this other sense that it didn't really matter <laughs> in any significant way because I grew up in a, an apartment building in Jamaica, Queens, that wasn't a luxury building by mm-hmm. any stretch of the imagination. It was a housing complex owned by her grandpa. I took the subway to school, and uh, with the exception of having... Uh, his limousine picked me and my brother up on a, an occasional Sunday to go to the house, my grandparents' house for breakfast. You know, mm-hmm. I, I had the same kind of growing up as everybody else in my neighborhood. We played in the parking lot. You know, we hung out in the park. Mary is the daughter of the eldest son, Fred Trump Jr., Donald's big brother. Mary says she didn't have much of a relationship with her aunts and uncles growing up. Mary, do you feel like you're part of this family? 
No, um, and I, I never really did. Um, I always felt outside of things. I had absolutely nothing in common with any of them. Mm. I was an avid reader. I was quite academic. I, I played every sport I could get my hands on. And yeah, I loved nature. So yeah, I literally nothing in common with any single one of them. And I used to joke that I was found under a rock. <laughs> I guess I should still use that joke. <laughs> <laughs> I spoke with one of Mary's best friends, Alice Frankston, who describes Mary this way. You are the polar opposite of your family. I called her Marilyn Munster. I don't know if you remember the TV series, The Munsters. And what did she mean? How are you Marilyn Munster? You know, in the Munster family, they're monsters. <laughs> They think they're the standard of beauty, and they feel terrible for Marilyn, who's this blonde-haired, blue-eyed... Gorgeous, gorgeous. ...young woman. They feel terrible for her because she's so <clears throat> deformed and doesn't look like they do. The difference, of course, between my family and the monsters is my family had no sympathy for me whatsoever, but that's okay. It's probably a good thing. I asked Mary if there were any stories that captured the spirit of her relationship with her Uncle Donald, the future president whom she never called uncle. She gave me two. In the first, she's playing catch with him, which they rarely did. And every time the uh, Donald threw the ball to me, he threw it harder. And, hmm. you know, hmm. baseballs are quite hard anyway. Hard. Yeah. And I had to go inside because I swear to God, I thought he'd broken all the bones in my hand. Did he come in after you to see if you were okay? <laughs> no. Um, it was as if even with a six-year-old girl, you know, he had to mm -hmm. prove that he could throw the ball harder, which really isn't hard to do if you're mm. a 27 or 8-year-old man. The other story, Mary is in college. She and some friends drive her Chevy to Central Park, Manhattan, not far from Trump Tower. She parks illegally, her car gets towed, she's in a pickle. So I go right into his office, my friends meet him, and I tell them what happens. And he could have been a total jerk about it. But he's like, oh, yeah, sure, honey bunch, no problem. And he reaches into his wallet and he gives me a $100 bill, I think. Mm. So one, it was really nice. Mm -hmm. And two, it also demonstrated his kind of carelessness about things, if that makes any mm. sense. Is there a siren in the background? I'm sorry to say that that is Sebastian. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's doing his best to imitate a truck backing up. All right. That's what it sounded like. It's a pretty good imitation. Not ideal for podcasting, but I'm a big fan of Sebastian. He makes great sound bites. <laughs> Mary's stories, they give us a glimpse of her early relationship with her uncle. One more. She was in her 20s, and he'd hired her to write his second book, the one that came after his smash hit, The Art of the Deal. Um, I was in his office one day, and out of nowhere, he asked me how my mother was doing. Mary's dad died young, and her mom had been uninvited from Trump Central, where the Klan gathered on weekends. So it's a weird question. Mary tells Donald, mom is fine. He gets very thoughtful or his version of whatever that means. And he says, you know, uh -huh. I think it was a really big mistake for us to support your mother financially. 
And, you know, maybe if we hadn't supported her, um, she would have, you know, gone out and gotten a job and become self-sufficient. I guess my point is he meant it kindly, but kind of missed the mark a little bit. I see. And, and so, and this is incredibly instructive. It, it started off as kind, hey, how's your mom? She should never have gotten the money. But, but well, she of, should never have gotten the money because it would have been better for her. And so the threat of some sort of anemic kindness running through. Right. Okay. Got right. it. Okay. Anemic is the word, yes. And now it doesn't exist anymore at all. I don't think. I think it's been completely crushed out of him. As the years passed, Mary saw a transformation. At family events, he was still the same old guy, into money, flashy things, himself. But on TV, he was suddenly on TV a lot, he was warping into a spokesman on the issues of the day. Newsrooms gave him a platform to talk about the case of the Central Park Five, the five black teens wrongfully convicted for the rape of a white jogger. Of course I hate these people, and let's all hate these people. He was given a platform to talk about things like nuclear disarmament. (laughs) As far as nuclear is concerned, this country, us, we need a shield. About which I'm sure he knows absolutely nothing. And the economy, et cetera, et cetera. Because he's purportedly rich and definitely famous. Right, and... The only reason he was rich was because my grandfather gave him hundreds of millions of dollars. So it was all just a facade. Hundreds of millions from her grandpa. Mary didn't actually know that yet. She, like us, thought Donald made his money and earned his way onto the Forbes crazy rich list. And she didn't give it too much thought. Until... It wasn't until he got the nomination, honestly that I started to think, okay, uh, the fact that this person has even a 0.001% chance of winning is terrifying. Why terrifying? Because I knew him. Um, He was the least intellectually curious person I've ever met in my life, which is to say he has zero intellectual curiosity, which is dangerous Mm -hmm. in anybody. He always seeks the lowest common denominator. He understands nothing about government. I would have bet a trillion dollars that he'd never read the Constitution. And he didn't care about anybody but himself. And uh, he had this incredibly perverted relationship with money. He was clearly ethically and morally, if you want to use that word, unfit Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's a cruel person. We're going to keep rolling with the bird. We're just going to accept. <laughs> <laughs> you know what happens next. Donald Trump does win the election. And Mary, this is her first response. I basically sat on the couch obsessively watching MSNBC and doom scrolling through Twitter. Um, Sound familiar? She wants to post and vent and be part of some community, but she can't. She's his niece. The moment she hits tweet, reporters are going to chase her down. The mantra of everybody in the family except Donald had been, don't talk to reporters. Hmm. Hmm. He's the mouthpiece. You aren't. Right. Turns out reporters are chasing her down anyway. On a beautiful, sunny summer day, there's a knock at the door. It's Suzanne Craig, brilliant New York Times investigator. 
She believes Mary Trump, who is sitting on her couch, is also sitting on a big pile of secret legal documents that, if pulled into public view, would topple the Trump empire. Her opening was, we believe you have documents that could help us rewrite the financial history of the Trump family. And I didn't know what she was talking about. Um, So I said, don't, you know, don't come back. I'm not talking to you. And yet, interestingly, I took her business card. (laughs) Yeah, that is very telling. That's very telling. She probably noticed it too. I'm sure she did because she did not relent. Um, She sent letters. She called. Hmm. And she made me understand what she was, why she thought I could be helpful. Almost two decades earlier, there was a family feud. Mary's grandpa, the real estate mogul with all those buildings in Queens and elsewhere, he died. Mary's dad had passed before him. Donald and his remaining siblings tried to cut Mary and her brother out of grandpa's will. I didn't know how much his estate was worth, but I knew it was... Uh, there was a lot of money there mm-hmm. and there was probably enough to go around. So it didn't seem entirely fair that mm-hmm. the only people who were cut out were my dad's children. You and your brother. Yes. Uh, we were referred to as the issue of Fred C. Trump Jr. Wow. <laughs> so um, the issue. Yes, it was quite cold. Mary and her brother were being completely disinherited. They fought back in court, or they tried to. They sued Donald and the other adults. It didn't go great. They were able to force a settlement that was terribly disadvantageous to me because they had huge amounts of money and they could just, you know, let it go on and on. Now, there is unexpected good news. Mary, who did not get a ton of money, got a ton of financial documents. Every financial document my grandfather had, Ah. his personal tax returns, tax returns for every single property Ah. he owned, his bank statements. Because you sued, you got this information. Exactly. Donald Trump was not willing to disclose his taxes, but because Donald worked for Fred Sr., Grandpa, the documents could still expose something big and juicy and dirty about the president's own practices. Suddenly, a reporter tells Mary she can make a unique contribution. But there is a big problem. She was still in touch with one of her aunts. And it just would have felt wrong, you know. Um, Like betrayal. Right. Even though she had betrayed me horribly Hmm. on a couple of occasions, uh, but families are weird. And she was the only family I had left from them. And I, Hmm. you know, didn't really feel ready to give that up. Mary felt loyal to a family that had been disloyal to her. It happens a lot. So she keeps sitting there. And then Donald's administration was disastrous. It seemed like every day some other cruelty was being inflicted on some other vulnerable person or population. And I was finding it harder and harder to sit here and 
take it. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. You know, it started with the Muslim ban and the transgender ban. Mm. He is reinstating a ban on transgender troops. Mm -hmm. and the only hope that I had hung on to was that the Republican Party would do something to, to mitigate the horrors that I mm. knew he would try to inflict. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, they turned out to be his biggest enablers and were allowing all of these things to go through unimpeded. And it, it was getting really hard to take. It finally sinks in for her. There's no hero coming to the rescue. If she wants to stop her uncle, she's got to get the job done. Put another way, Mary starts to realize that she, Marilyn Munster, the issue, has privilege. She matters. Actually, not exactly. It wasn't about mattering or not mattering. Because when it comes to my family, I didn't matter. It was having something concrete to point to that mm. was completely separate from whether I mattered or not. Mm -hmm. You know, here's 40,000 pages worth of documents. Okay, okay, fine. So someone else, a reporter, comes to her house and points out that she does have a contribution. And then she realizes reluctantly she has a contribution. Right. And in reluctantly realizing that and reluctantly realizing that if there's anything I could do, I needed to do it. I also had to get to the point where I could reluctantly realize that I didn't actually owe my aunt anything. And hmm. it had required an extraordinary amount of mental gymnastics for me to be in any kind of relationship with her at all. So hmm. that wasn't worth hanging on to at the potential expense of, you know, my country, essentially. Mary Trump is ready to get those files. They are in a storage room at the law firm that represented her years ago. Only there's yet another problem. She fractured her left foot badly. You know, if you break your foot, you literally can't do anything else. Uh -huh. You can't do anything. Only you can. <laughs> well, <laughs> she tells herself, come on, Mary. You're an athlete. You're tough stuff. Get up. Do what no one else can do. Pull those files. You take your first big step forward while you are on crutches. <laughs> Very good. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted to deliver that line. That's awesome. I love that. I'm going to steal that from you. Mary calls the firm. She says something like, hey, I need those documents from way back when uh, for my taxes. It's an excuse. They're legally yours. I mean, you're actually entitled to them. But why do you feel the need to give a reason like that? Um, because I'm diffident. And insecure. The message I'd always got it in my family was that I have no right to ask for anything, hmm. especially money, mm -hmm. but even information. Mary's closest friends were terrified for her safety. Say a receptionist at the firm tipped off Donald Trump's people. Hey, your niece is snooping around. Would he send someone to stop Mary? That was a concern raised. 
Mary drives to the law firm. She pulls into the parking lot. It's very far from the entrance to the building. Autumn wind is whipping her cheeks and crutches, and she wobbles ahead. I brought two backpacks with me because I was determined to smuggle documents out. There were revolving doors, which was terrifying. <laughs> of course. You know, this huge expanse of marble floor. Anybody on crutches, it's like your worst nightmare is to find marble. And then an escalator, it was just... <laughs> it's, it's like comedic how many barriers there are. Okay. By the time I get to the office, I am sweating. <laughs> I get my coat off and I just collapse into a chair. And I'm in this room with these 30 boxes. Nothing is labeled. She sits there for two or three hours. She leaves with as many pages as she can stuff into her backpack. She returns, twice actually. The last time, the firm tells her, oh, turns out we have duplicates of all these files. Go ahead and take the copies. Mary borrows her friend's big SUV. They loaded everything on for me. And I mean, I could drive it using my cane, but that's dangerous. So, <laughs> luckily, I, it's very dangerous. I've, I, I learned that was the last time I ever went to that office. The fact that you pulled that off, did you surprise yourself? Uh, no, I didn't really think much of it. On the one hand, it, it, it gave me something to be engaged in. It gave me a purpose. Um, hmm. But more than that, again, I just felt like I something I, I was obligated to do. What she did was make it possible for the first time ever to put a number on it. At least $413 million in today's dollars. That is how much money the so-called self-made billionaire president got from his daddy. Nearly half a billion. The media exploded. Here's Jake Tapper. President Trump sold himself in the campaign trail as a self-made billionaire who earned his fortune on his own. Just got a small $1 million loan from his dad, but a blockbuster investigation in the New York Times this afternoon, reporting that President Trump received the equivalent of hundreds of millions of dollars from his just kind of the, the breadth of the documentation that you guys combed Also, that money accrued through suspect tax schemes. CNN's Kate Baldwin asks investigator Suzanne Craig to explain. Through our sourcing, we had sources who gave us tens of thousands of pages of confidential financial documents from Fred Trump's empire. By sources, she meant Mary who is still unnamed. She is the hidden force behind an expose that would win a Pulitzer Prize and spur government probes into Donald Trump. Much like the rest of us, she's taking it all in. Only for her, the betrayal is also intensely personal. Uh, It makes me realize (laughs) the scope of their um, fraud, really. Because if my grandfather gave Donald the equivalent of $410 million, then chances are when my grandfather died, his estate was worth more than $30 million, which is the number that we'd been working from and arriving at a settlement. Mm -hmm. So you'd felt cheated before and now you knew just how deeply. Around the time of the lawsuit, it's not, I didn't think that 
they were lying or that mm. they were hiding anything. I just thought that it didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But now, yes, I it's like, mm-hmm. okay, right. <laughs> this wasn't a rounding error. And Mary, how did that feel for you? And the reason I'm asking you feel for you as opposed to just repeating what the facts are is that you and I read that reporting. Mm-hmm. But we read it differently because I'm not part of that family. I had no skin in that game. So how did it feel for you? It felt like somebody knocked the wind out of me because – it's not that I suddenly realized they were cruel, you know, I've, I know he's known that, but it was the extent of it, of their, their obsession with money and the fact that money seemed to matter more than everything. I mean, that's so much money. In what universe was it necessary to um, leave their dead brother's children? Not with nothing. I don't want to suggest at all mm-hmm. that, you know, I was in danger of, mm-hmm. you know, homelessness. Being ho- yeah. Exactly. Right. Not even close. So um, it would have made absolutely no difference, appreciable difference mm-hmm. in terms of what their children got. So it was really just an exercise in cruelty. After the break, Mary Trump decides it's time to say goodbye, private life, and hello, America. I'm the other Trump. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. The doctor in Dr. Mary Trump is for her PhD in clinical psychology. She's a smarty pants. She worked in a state psych hospital. She's taught courses in trauma and psychopathology. In other words, while me, maybe you, are armchair psychologizing the Trumps, she can psychologize for real. What's the point where you decide you're going to go from unnamed source to Mary Trump on the record? The idea emerged from my working with the Times. Mm -hmm. Part of what I did was through conversation with them is just give them background that didn't exist in the documents, you know, give them context, uh, human context to help these numbers make sense in a different way. Mm-hmm. And although I think the Times article was extraordinary and necessary in any other kind of situation, it would have been the last nail. And it Mm -hmm. instead became another one of the thousand lashes, right? And Mm. um, Mm. I knew that Mm. no no one thing was going to do the trick. We needed to pile on. That this is attrition. It's not going to be a single lethal blow. And I got to step up and do it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, one thing I do want to understand is other people in the Trump family – 
they don't buy Donald either. I mean, nope. they think he's not governing well. They think he's incompetent. Mm-hmm. You secretly recorded a conversation with your Aunt Marianne where she's saying as much. It, the change of stories, a lack of preparation, the lying, the holy You're not the only one who doesn't buy it. Mm-hmm. So why are you the one who ends up speaking out? The only one who ends up speaking out. Like, why you? Well, I can only I can only speak to um, my other my aunts and other uncle. I don't mean for you to guess about them. I think I mean more to reflect upon yourself. Oh, um, hmm. Well, I guess because I don't believe that if you'll forgive the expression, family trumps everything else. Just because somebody's your family, they don't deserve your unconditional loyalty. Especially if one of them is, like, destroying your country. Also, I haven't done anything wrong. You know, I wasn't involved in any of their frauds or potential criminality. You know, I'm an adult human being. So do, do, are there things in my life that I would prefer that, that I've done or that have happened in my life that I prefer people not to know about? Sure. But I don't have skeletons in my closet. Mm. And that, mm-hmm. that creates a certain amount of cover. Mary goes to the publishing industry to sell her book idea, a Trump family memoir as told by the insider-outsider niece. She gets to work writing it, gets the whole thing done in nine months. So the book comes out, okay, and it's it's staggering. 950,000 copies are sold by the end of its first day on sale. (laughs) (laughs) An estimated 1.35 million copies sell in its first week. And you know the next (laughs) stat I'm going to tell you. Your uncle's book that he got ghostwritten, The Art of the Deal, in its entire existence, only sold 1.1 million copies. <laughs> that is that is a fun statistic, isn't it? I mean, the art of the deal that that, that was fun for me, just because I knew it would bother him more than anything else. But um, that week, it was a uh, it was rather head spinning. Happening today, President Trump's niece, Mary Trump's tell-all book is now available. It's called Too Much and Never Enough, How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man. The marketing campaign is clever. Her publisher pitched it as a salacious tell-all. In reality, it was a very nuanced portrayal of a toxic family, but her team led with juicy tidbits like... Another explosive claim uh, is her allegation that the president, way back when, paid someone to take his SATs for him. And a funny detail about day one of book tour, Mary cannot speak. Nope, not laryngitis. Her family took her to court, tried to litigate her into silence. So her friends, like Alice Frankston, are making the media rounds for her. Overnight, Alice Frankston, a friend of Mary Trump, authorized to speak on her behalf. She wants to get across that her uncle is really dangerous. Mary Trump still at home, but not just doom scrolling Twitter. You are muzzled but roaring. Right. And and it was kind of cool to be able to sit back and just watch it unfold before having to get sucked into the media vortex 
Um, which again, though, with two exceptions, was done entirely from my living room because of COVID, mm-hmm. which made it, uh, you know, who knows what the experience would have been like. It's a very weird time to become a public figure, right? Yeah, because I don't at all feel like one. Mm-hmm. Like, how would how would I? Like, what, what evidence is there that I am? I know that sounds stupid, perhaps, but mm-hmm. um, yes, I, there are people who want to interview me, for example, <laughs> like you. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. that wouldn't have happened. Um, but at the same time, it's very difficult to know how these things land when you're not out in the world. Like, nobody's out in the world. I mean, at the same time, you've done this monumental thing. And I'll put some objective metrics, right? Little fun fact I already shared, you know, it makes your uncle pissed off. It's also a metric on your reach. You have 1.1 million followers on Twitter as well. You are constantly being asked to give interviews. Your lawyers won in court and got you unmuzzled. Mary, first of all, uh, thanks for being with us. What did you make of the president's performance last night? He came out in the first debate with a very specific tactic. Thank you for joining us. And Mary, I think a lot of people are incredibly upset with what's going on in the nation's capital. And yeah. People are asking Dr. Mary Trump to help them make sense of America. Right? Yeah, sorry. Um, that's big. Um, and I promise you, this is not false modesty. This is just having a very difficult time processing the enormity of the shift. Hmm. I think the simplest explanation is that I come from what I knew as a, even growing up was a very powerful family mm-hmm. in which I mattered not at all. I get literally mm-hmm. did it, it. And in that way, I had that in common with my dad. It didn't matter. It didn't matter if I got straight A's. It didn't matter if I played varsity on four sports. It didn't matter. None of, none of that mattered. So what would it matter if you're a crazy bestseller? Well, so it's not that I'm used to not mattering because that's that's not what I'm saying at all. Okay. Um, what I'm saying is I'm used to flying under the radar and doing what I feel like I need to do. And then suddenly that's public. Mm-hmm. Like very, very, like as public as it could possibly be. Because we're talking about my uncle, who was at the time the most powerful person on the planet. Mm-hmm. As an extraordinarily private person, as I mentioned earlier, I don't think anybody knew I existed. Mm-hmm. So suddenly people know I exist in a very mm-hmm. specific way, too. It's hard to judge, you know, did the book have anything to do with the outcome of the election? I don't know. Like, how, how do you quantify that? No idea. Sure. But in terms of the way... I was received, and this might sound like a silly metric, but I was prepared for the most virulent hate being pointed at me. I Mm. was prepared for real viciousness and even threats. Mm. I would say that to this day, 95% of the feedback I get, like say on Twitter, is positive. And 5% of it is some version of, you know, when are your 15 minutes going to be up? You're, you're a grifter and you're disloyal to your family. Mm-hmm. So that's not uh, common. Mm. How embraced you were. Yeah. And, and that mm-hmm. gave me some insight that I couldn't ignore into, one, how desperate people were to know what the fuck was going on with this mm-hmm. person and people who support him. Mm-hmm. And two, 
how relieved they were to, to meet somebody who was a relatively real human being who was related to them, but wasn't damaged in the same way they were mm-hmm. and who could speak to them at a level that was genuine. I think there's something else Mary did by writing the book. America is facing a moral crisis. By that, I mean we mistake the hero for the villain and vice versa. In the Trump family, Donald is the hero. And Mary's dad, Freddie Jr., who died at age 43 from alcoholism, he's the villain. Mary bought into that version of the story. Childhood friend Alice recalls back when they were 16 years old. I remember her telling me when her father died, and I said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And she's like, no, he was a big drunk anyway. You know, she really kind of played it off like it was nothing. It's horrible. I totally, she she mentioned that to me, I don't know, within the last year. And I, of course, totally forgotten it. Um, and it's... Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's been what, that was one of the hardest things about writing the first book was having to come face to face in an, a way that was unavoidable uh, with my own complicity um, and my own failures uh, vis-a-vis my dad. Um, I mean, I know where I was a kid, but still, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I absolutely bought into the family myths about him just as I had bought into the family myths about Donald. Um, Mm. And the family myths about my dad was that he was a totally unaccomplished alcoholic loser. And that's how I treated him. And, you know, I I will uh, live with that shame for the rest of my life. Mary wrote through the shame. She examined for the first time the sibling rivalry between Donald and his big brother. Her grandpa wanted them to be killers. That's the word he used a lot. That's what it would take to run the real estate empire, the family business. Eldest son Freddie Jr. didn't want that. He loved life and friendship and sailing. He became a pilot, flew for TWA, a job with great benefits at the time. Their dad was pissed. And Donald, he decided to suck up to show off he was a killer. As Mary recounts it, Donald once told his brother, Dad's right about you. You're nothing but a glorified bus driver. I'm understanding this. And it's it's shifting something in me. And this doesn't feel like fun and games. And I'm seeing him and I'm seeing my own family differently. And so I think that there is a level of... You didn't just write a book. You really thought about what is uniquely my voice? What is the specific contribution that I am uniquely qualified to make? And you pushed yourself to make it. Uh, Yeah, actually, I I agree with that. Um, If you look at the family dynamic and you look at uh, the psychology of the individuals in the family system and the family system itself, you see that we all have a lot in common and we can all learn from other people's experiences in a family 
And that was actually one of the most gratifying things when people say, oh, you know, I saw myself in that. I saw my dad. I, I can understand my mother now in a way I didn't before. And then again, yeah, finally, somebody was saying, you know what? We, we need to stop pretending that diagnosing this person matters. Does it matter if we know what kind of personality disorder he has? No. Look at his behavior and I can help you understand why he's behaving the way he is. And I can most importantly help you understand that he will never change. Do you feel powerful? Um, I'm writing a book right now, so no. <laughs> <laughs> when you're not a tortured author, do you feel powerful? I, uh, you know, I, I don't know because it's only been eight months, really, and mm. COVID again. Uh, so the first part of that was dealing with the first book and everything else, you know, the election and... The fact that uh, largely because of my uncle, uh, almost 600,000 Americans are dead and, and um, the transition, the horrible transition period in which the big lie was made and the insurrection. So um, there really hasn't been any time to breathe and take it in. And then I started this book. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I, 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 it would be nice to. To feel powerful. We'll have to. Yes, we'll have to revisit that in the summer. Well, I want to I want to sort of share a personal reflection on this, and maybe you can help me to unpack it. You know, the genesis of this interview, Mary Trump, it actually started with me and my brother. All right, I was, you know, talking to him about this show, and I'm like, "Hey, who should we have on? Who do you want to hear from?" And he's like, "Get Donald Trump." <laughs> and I immediately cringed and I thought but you know what his niece let me see if I can get his niece Mary she's powerful too that's awesome and I use my power for good <laughs> explain that a little well that makes me think two things one is yes it would be giving a platform to somebody who doesn't who's never deserved one, which would be Donald. But also, like, what, what would the point have been? He doesn't answer questions. Yeah, I don't think the answers would be honest. That's certainly there. That, that goes without saying. But they would be completely divorced from any intellectual rigor mm -hmm. because he doesn't know anything. Like, what's he going to say? Yeah, I'm the most powerful. I mean, he just has nothing. He has nothing of interest to say to you or to us. Mm -hmm. Nothing. There's no exploring. There's no deep dives. There's no willingness to put himself in a position where he might be vulnerable or wrong or disagreed with, mm -hmm. uh, which means and meant that his power, as vast and unspeakable as it was, was really quite fragile. And your power? Uh, hopefully it's resilient and useful. Imagine you're standing in front of a classroom of high school students. They're young. They're hungry. They might one day be a whistleblower, an author, a public figure, a public intellectual. What are some lessons in power? One, let's say, a lesson in power from your journey. That 
the right thing to do is always the thing to do. I'm sorry if that sounds trite, but it's not that simple, really. And it's certainly not that easy, but it's true. I think it's also important to put it in context. You know, we are Americans in in a 21st century country that's as divided as it's been. And if you're somebody who's in a position of privilege and power, simply by virtue of, you know, historical accident and egregious crimes and missteps, (laughs) uh, Mm. you know, you have a responsibility Mm. to acknowledge that. It's not that I suddenly realized it all of a sudden, but I'd never had to articulate it. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, when people would say that what I did was brave, mm-hmm. I don't own that. I don't, because I, I put that in the context of being a black parent raising a child in this country. That's brave. Mm. With all of the privileges that I've had as somebody who's white and educated and came from a family of wealth, in order to claim my power, I have to acknowledge the context in which I'm exercising it, which is to say there are a lot of other people who in quiet, extraordinarily brave and often mm-hmm. life-threatening ways mm-hmm. exercise mm-hmm. power without acknowledgement mm-hmm. and often at enormous sacrifice. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mary Trump, I've learned a lot here. This has been good for me. Thank you. It's my pleasure. This is great. And Sebastian, uh, in the background, thanks for, for speaking as well. It's been great having you in the interview, Sebastian. <laughs> for his, his cameo appearance and his singing in the background. My lessons from Dr. Mary Trump. One, you can use a crutch to push the accelerator. Just kidding. Bad luck moments, like, say, losing a lawsuit, can end up being really useful in the future. So don't bury your bad experiences. Two, might sound sleazy, but salacious sells. If you want to lure people into learning complex and nuanced truths, you've got to trick them into the classroom. Three, There's a good chance you have privilege in ways you do not even realize. So dig deep. Listen for unexpected clues about where your power is hiding and act. This episode of Art of Power was produced by Justin Bull. Hina Shravastava, and me, Arthi Shahani. Our executive producer is Kevin Dawson. If this episode landed for you, made you stop, think, feel, subscribe. Leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. They matter. Tell your friends and family. We're just getting started here. Your referrals, they keep us going. Let me know what you think. Text me, 917-708-5139. On Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Arthi411. Guest ideas, feedback, whatever. All right, see you next week.
Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.